1: Welcome to the RotoWire NBA podcast presented by WinBet. Check out winbet.com for all your sports wagering needs. Nick Whalen joined by James Anderson. Uh, James, the NBA draft took place a full week ago at this point. Um, Some scheduling conflicts, a ton of things going on in baseball, in the NBA, in other sports, uh, pushed this pod back a a couple more days than we would normally do it. Uh, But I want to dig in and kind of recap the NBA draft, talk about some of the winners, the losers. Uh, some of the implications for this season and beyond. Uh, so let's get right into it. We will kind of use our NBA draft uh, Q&A article that went up on the site on Wednesday uh, as a rough guide, uh, but we'll hit on pretty much all the major stories, uh, all the players who who could have an impact next season. But the number one question that I asked you in that article, James, and we both submitted our answers to this, which pick from the lottery was the most surprising to you? Was it Josh Giddy at number six? Was it Zaire Williams to Memphis at 10? Was it Josh Primo out of nowhere to the Spurs at 12? Uh, or, or someone else who I didn't list, uh, not among those three?
2: Uh, it was Josh Giddy at six to the Thunder. And I, I never bought the James Booknight buzz there because, uh, like, the Thunder, you never know what they're going to do before they do it. So the fact that people thought they were going to take a guy had me, like, convinced that they weren't going to take him there. But I just, to me, like, Jonathan Kamingo was just such an obvious pick there, uh, such an obvious fit, uh, because, you know, he's he's a project. Uh, you know, he he is still sort of learning the game a little bit, but I think he unquestionably had the highest ceiling, of anyone who didn't go inside the top five. And I think you could argue he had a higher ceiling than Scotty Barnes or Jalen Suggs. And so the fact that the Thunder passed on Jonathan Kaminga, the fact that they passed on Alperin Sengun, who was also a guy that I just thought was a kind of an obvious fit. uh, Just given the fact, like you want to hit a a big, a big score there, right? Like you're, you're not trying to get a role player with that pick if you're the Mm -hmm. Thunder because you have all this runway uh to kind of rebuild and you you're just you're really just trying to uh find another another star to pay with to pair with sga and i mean even if they had gone even if they'd gone with like Zaire williams or someone like that i would have been like oh well they they must see something there uh but josh giddy to me it's just, it's, it's really hard to sort of envision him being more than just kind of like the fourth or fifth best player on a solid team. Like his, his jump shot needs just a ton of work. He's not that great of an athlete. Um, I, I sort of see where, like, I'm kind of putting myself in Sam Presti's shoes and trying to see like what he might've seen in Giddy and, like, I could maybe see him just having this idea of, like, I want to build this team where everyone in the rotation is, like, a, a really smart player, a really good passer, has a lot of size, and, like, Giddy kind of fits into that. But I just, I was kind of stunned that they didn't take someone who I thought had more upside.
1: I, I think everybody felt that way. And I didn't see a ton of harsh criticism of the pick, because I think Sam Presti has earned the benefit of the doubt in some ways. I think OKC is such a blank slate outside of SGA that it's kind of hard to criticize their picks because they they don't really have any expectations at least for the next few years. But I'm 100% with you. Like I I think the desire uh, desire Williams point is is well taken because at least there there's some very very obvious upside right and and with Giddy there there is upside but. You know, what, the ultimate upside is probably a, a really, really good secondary option or, or a great playmaker, but not the guy who's going to lead your franchise. And, and granted, you, you locked up SGA uh, on Monday with an extension. So you do have one guy in place. But I, I think at number six, you, you want someone with a, at least a little more perceived upside. Like, I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if five years from now, if we if we do a podcast on a redraft of the 2021 NBA draft, and Josh Giddy is the fifth or sixth best player in the draft, and we say, Yeah, that was probably the right pick. I I, I won't be surprised at all. But I, I just don't think there's like superstar potential there. And, and and it's not like everybody else with superstar potential was off the board. Um, you know, I I am fine with taking him over Book Knight, but I I mean, I know there are some questions around Kaminga, but that, that just felt like the perfect type of pick for the situation that OKC is in right now. So I was I was not only shocked that they took Giddy, but even more surprised that they passed on Kaminga.
2: Yeah, and I I forget where I heard someone say this, but I I agree with it. Like it it did sort of feel like a uh like a look how smart we are type of pick. Like, like yes. they they sort of were like we've discovered that Josh Giddy is gonna be really good, and like we'll we'll show you guys like how smart we are. Um, uh, and like like I don't see Josh Giddy failing. Like so I mean, you, you know I I. I also don't really see Jonathan Kaminga failing just because of his physical tools. But, like, you know, I I think Giddy's going to have a long career. And I think, like what you said, he very well could end up being one of the six or seven best players from this draft. But, like, if you're the Thunder, even if you take a guy like Kaminga or Sengun with that pick and it's a swing and a miss and you don't get the guy that, that you hoped you were getting... Like it's not the end of the world. Like you, you didn't have one of those top five picks. Um,
1: so I would just, I would go big or go home there. Right. It, it was, it was not a bad pick. It was just a little bit confusing giving the timetable. Uh, but, but we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I, I kind of like Zaire Williams at ten to Memphis. I, I think there's a chance that it's a total zero, and you know he's, he's just not a contributor in four or five years. That's certainly on the table. But I, I think they they took the right mindset, you know, trading up from 17 to 10. They could have taken Booknight, uh, but but it feels like they they've, they've kind of hit on like a, a couple Desmond Bain, De'Anthony Melton types, you know, in recent years where they probably felt like they didn't need to add uh, another two guard who doesn't really do anything but score. It, it felt like they moved up to target Zaire Williams because I don't I don't think like if he doesn't go 10, I, I don't see him coming off the board until maybe OKC or I, I think the pick that actually became Houston's pick. At 16, um, you know, the Thunder drafted again at 18. I think he probably falls another 7 to 10 picks if he doesn't go 10 to Memphis.
2: Yeah, I think I think you're totally right. Like, the last thing Memphis needed was another role-player guard or another role-player, like, forward or whatever. Like, they, they have all those guys. I mean, it's one of the deepest teams in the league. And whoever they were going to take there probably wasn't going to be a part of the rotation this year at least not early on just just given all their depth so it, it totally made sense to take a big swing there and um I mean he's you, that like Sam Presti's earned the benefit of the doubt to some degree but I mean this this Memphis front office has really earned the benefit of the doubt in terms of their their draft record in recent years so um you know, there'd been some buzz leading up to the draft that Williams was kind of climbing up boards and uh, teams were sort of throwing out that season at Stanford uh, due to all the the circumstances involved there and sort of defaulting to their their scouting reports on him from high school. And uh, just the fact that a, a smart team uh, jumped on him there, That that kind of has me sort of eager to sort of see where this goes with him.
1: It reminded me a lot of the Cam Reddish pick in 2019 where I, I think Cam Reddish probably put out more bad tape than Williams did. Like with Williams, it was, you know, you, you looked, looked shaky-ish for like 15 games and then got hurt. And, you know, that was kind of it. Whereas like Reddish had like one and a half good games at Duke and was like objectively pretty bad for most of that season. And and the Hawks still took him at 10 based largely on his pre-college pedigree. So it, it's almost the exact same situation And, you know, it's not like Cam Reddish has developed into a superstar. Uh, You know, he had injuries pretty much keep him out for all of this past season. But he's looked relatively good. He he looks like somebody who fits in the NBA. And I think that kind of paves the way for a pick like Zaire Williams at 10.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, I I think Cam Reddish, what he showed in that that Hawks-Bucks series, or, or at least some of the flashes he showed. Yeah. Like he he looks like he could be a real winning piece, a real two-way wing, like the the most coveted position in the league. And so I mean I think if if this kind of goes that same way, then I think they'll be really happy. And yeah. um, reddish reddish has a bit more bulk and a bit more strength at the same age than Williams does. But you know w- Williams, I mean that that type of length. Um, you know, it's kind of like uh, you know, he's kind of his measurable sort of remind me a little bit of Paul George. He needs to add some strength, but I mean you could totally see how three, four years from now he he could be that that third piece to go with John Morant and, and Jaron Jackson.
1: If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions. And even more so making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, Winbet. The premier digital casino and sportsbook app. Winbet is now the exclusive sponsor for RotoWire's Fantasy Podcast. Winbet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, moneyline bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into Winbet's digital casino and take a spin on Roulette, double down in Blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six U.S. states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T, WinBet the exclusive partner for Rotowire's Fantasy Podcast. So let's talk biggest steals of the draft. It's not often that you get a true steal in the top five, but I I know you and I and and a lot of people, I think, agree that the Magic, specifically the Magic, landing Jalen Suggs at number five, a a guy who I I think could have gone as high as probably three. Um, A lot of people thought he would go four to Toronto. That seemed like a natural fit. Uh, obviously, Toronto opts to go with Scotty Barnes at four. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But I, Jalen Suggs at five to Orlando, I, I, I think he just has a, a crazy high floor. I'm, I'm a huge Jalen Suggs guy. I think he's going to be really, really good. And, you know, all of a sudden you pair that pick with Franz Wagner at number eight. And, you know, Orlando goes from like arguably the worst and bleakest roster in the league in terms of projecting out for the next three to five years to, all of a sudden having like a a fairly exciting young core, which is not something you could say about the Orlando magic since like, I don't even know, like the Dwight Howard days.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that was just a a really lucky scenario for them because I hated the fit of Scotty Barnes there. I I wouldn't have minded going Jonathan Kaminga there, but I mean, getting Suggs, getting that, that guy who doesn't really have any weaknesses. I mean, cause uh, really th- this whole roster, it's a lot of guys who are either, you know, really good at really good on defense or really good on offense, but terrible on the other end of the floor. And Suggs is a guy that could be a big time defender, could guard both guard spots and can be, um, you know, I don't know if he can be a, a total stud primary option, on offense but I think he could be a, a really really good second option and yeah I mean just having him fall into their lap I mean just part of part of why I loved it is I just thought ending up with Scotty Barnes there you, you know Scotty Barnes like there's a lot of people who are a lot higher on him than I am but he has just all these same weaknesses that their other guys have um, guys like Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac where you just you don't know if the shot's ever going to really be much of a weapon so uh Suggs is just a really nice fit and um you know they've got now they've got Cole Anthony and RJ Hampton as well and and Faults whenever he gets healthy so th- they do kind of have a bit of a log jam at the the ball handling spots but I mean they can always move off of one or two of those guys so uh, I thought that was a great a great landing spot for him and like that that sort of winning mentality and that those leadership traits that he brings is something I think this team really needed. Uh, I'm not that big on Franz Wagner. I I don't think that would have been my pick there, but um, you know, he, he's going to, he's going to have a career at
1: least. I think with, when it comes to Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz, like I'm really glad that Orlando didn't pass on Jalen Suggs because they have those two guys. Like I, I like oh, Cole okay. Anthony, you and you and I both liked him coming into the draft. I thought he was fine. As a rookie, I think it looks like he's going to be a pretty good player. You know, ultimately, maybe a really good six man. Maybe he's a lower end starter. Who knows? But either way, he's going to stick. And Fultz is making progress. But I mean, it's not like you have John Morant on this roster and you took another guard. Like I think it would have would have been a massive, massive mistake to not take Jalen Suggs because you like what Cole Anthony showed you in half of a season last year.
2: Yeah, and I and I think Suggs can play next to any of those guys. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, he he can he can guard. I think he's going to be able to guard most twos and he can definitely guard most ones. So, um, and he, and he does a lot of great stuff on the ball and off the ball. Like, I mean, he's going to crash the boards. He's going to make great cuts. He's going to make plays in transition. So um, I mean, I think there's, there's going to be some times where we see Cole Anthony and Suggs maybe starting together. Like, I, I mean, I know they've got Gary Harris, but, you know, we kind of know what Gary Harris is at this point, and he's—he's he's not like he's not a big part of the Magic's future. So if if Suggs develops, um, pretty well, I, I think they—they they need ball handling and they need shot creation. And if they have to start a couple guys who are technically point guards to to get that into the lineup, I think that's fine.
1: Right, and that's where Suggs. I think if you're talking fantasy or just projecting, you know, long term, I think that's where he has the biggest advantage. Like not only is he the most talented of those three, but he could play both guard spots and he can defend both guard spots. Whereas I mean, Cole Anthony kind of has to be on the ball. Not a great spot up shooter. doesn't have the size necessarily to play off the ball. Fultz maybe, I mean, but you don't really trust his spot up shooting at all unless that continues to improve. And he's coming off of a torn ACL that maybe sets him back. So I think the versatility with Suggs is another kind of underrated factor as far as where he fits. You also put down uh, Alper and Sengun as one of your steals of the first round, a guy who made a late charge up James Anderson's personal big board, a uh, very late <laughs> charge. You you messaged me like the morning of the draft, you're like I'm in on Shang-Goon. Uh He, I, do you consider it a fall down to 16, uh, where the Thunder pick transferred to Houston uh, and the Rockets land Sengun? Like, is that about where you expected? A little bit lower. Uh... I thought he would go
2: higher just because of how well he grades out analytically. Uh, But I, I mean, I guess I got the sense that teams just, you, you really had to love him to take him like in the mid lottery, just given that he's a a big man. And, um, you know, I, we've talked about this before when talking about the draft, but, like the the rookie contracts that you give these guys when you take them in the top 10, if you're taking a center there, they really have to be a player for the contract to even make sense on the rookie scale deal because you can get like a, a, a Robin Lopez or Kem Birch or whoever, like basically for nothing. So uh, if you're taking a, a center that high, <clears throat> they really have to pan out. Uh, to be worth the the rookie scale contract so i i mean i it's not like I thought like the thunder would take him at seven or um you know i I didn't expect the you know the pacers to take him or anything like that so i mean like there's there's definitely spots on the board where I didn't think he would go but um i just i think if you're trying to find a all star in this draft. Outside of the top five and Jonathan Kaminga, I think Sengun has the best chance to be an All Star. So like, I, I would have taken him. Like I, if I, was if I was OKC, I would have if if they didn't like Kaminga for whatever reason, I would have taken Sengun over Josh Giddy all day just because I think he's got a much higher ceiling. And I would if I was the Magic, I would have taken him over Franz Wagner for the same reason. Um, so I. You know, I I sort of get I I wasn't that surprised that he he fell, but I do think that's going to end up looking like a big time steal a couple of years from now.
1: I was surprised OKC traded out of that pick. That was a draft night deal like that basically happened live as you're watching it. And, you know, it felt felt like such a natural fit. Like you said, it wouldn't have been that crazy if they took him at number six and then for him to be available at 16 and for OKC to, to trade out of that pick, I thought was pretty baffling.
2: Yeah my my big question for him like especially like for fantasy is you know how much is he going to how much is he going to play early on I I think it's a great fit um I think it's a great fit overall just because you know that the Rockets are going with a slow build here uh they're they're definitely not going to be trying to make the playoffs anytime soon uh and I think he I think he fits pretty nicely. I think you could play him and, and Christian Wood together. I just hope that Daniel Tice doesn't take away too many minutes from him. But, um, you know, if Sengun is if Sengun's playing like 24 minutes a game, 25, 26 minutes a game by, you know, like two months into the season, I think there's going to be some, some fantasy value there uh, just because of how efficient he can be on offense, uh both, you know, I think he's gonna be an efficient free throw shooter. Uh, I think he's eventually going to be a three point shooter. Um you know he's not gonna be a great real life defender, but I do think he will be a guy that gets you, you know, over a block a game, um or at least, you know, over a block and a half per thirty six minutes or something like that. So uh I'm interested to just see how much he plays as a rookie.
1: Well, he's in one of the best spots, I think, for for any rookie or any player in general, just to, to find minutes, you know, like kind of be you know, what what we saw from Jay Sean Tate last year, who was on no fantasy radars whatsoever. And just by virtue of being like the the only healthy guy on a team that didn't really care, um, you know, really propelled him. I mean, I mean, they also have they also have Garuba, who they grabbed at 23. Uh, then they had another pick at 24 and took Josh Christopher which I, I love both of those picks. I, I think I think Aruba has a chance to be a, a really, really good, really versatile, kind of unique uh defender for his age. And then Christopher, I mean, he reminds me of like Nick Young, you know, that type of player where it's just, you know, at, at his best, he's giving you like twenty four points, two rebounds, zero assists, three turnovers. Um like it's just scoring and that's about it. But you know, if there's one place where he's gonna go and, and be able to get some shots up as a rookie, it's Houston.
2: Yeah, and that they're gonna play fast and like down the stretch last year, any rocket who was getting
1: like 25 minutes or more a game had fantasy value. Because right, and any player they, in the NBA typically who's getting those minutes is going to have value. And it, but especially
2: on that team where they just were like, we're just they they were like playing like a G League team because they just they weren't they weren't defending at all and they were playing at a really fast pace. So like guys like Kenyon Martin were were having. Like fantasy Valley down the stretch last oh, yeah. year, so, um, and that 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 makes me all the more excited for for what we could see from uh, Jalen Green this year.
1: Kind of a sneaky fun league pass team if everybody's healthy, right? Like you're rolling out John Wall, Kevin Porter, Jalen Green, maybe Jay Sean Tate, maybe Daniel Tice at the four, and then Christian Wood at center with with Shangoon coming off the bench. This is gonna be this is gonna be my. 21 22 version
2: of the Hornets last year where I like last year I watched um like in the in the months of like January February I was watching as much Hornets as I was Bucks just because lamella Ball was just can't miss TV and I think I think the same might be true of of the Rockets this year with
0: with Green and Porter We're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate
3: you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on the old man. And the three make this your companion podcast during the playoffs, listen to the old man and the three ad free on Wondery plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So one of the questions I asked you in the Q and a, uh, was how would you rate golden States hall uh, of Kaminga and Moody with the seventh and the 14th picks? And, you know, I set this out before free agency. So, you know, it was kind of geared at, you know, what do you think of Golden State, a team that's, you know, ostensibly trying to win the title in 2022, taking two guys who maybe aren't quite ready to contribute to that effort. Now that we know they've added Nemanja Vialica, they've added Otto Porter, um, you know, it looks like they're pretty much going to bring back, like, the Jordan Poole's and the the Damian Lees of the world. You know, not that Otto Porter and and, and Vialica make you feel all that much better, but, they have a little bit more depth now. Like does it does it change how you view these picks given what they've done in free agency?
2: Uh not really. I mean, I, I think you had to expect that they were going to do something along these lines. Like they they were definitely going to be willing to pay a big luxury tax bill and they were definitely going to like I think the big the big misnomer to me was just this this notion that like, oh, you got to take you can't not take guys that are going to help you win now because you have you have Curry and Clay and Draymond like you owe it to them to, to draft guys who are going to help you win now, like they're just it's stupid to think that you're going to get guys that are going to help you win now at those picks. I mean even like you know they didn't get a crazy high pick, but you know I don't I don't think Evan Mobley or maybe even like Jalen Green. I don't know if those guys are going to like help those teams win games like they're going to. Yeah put on a show and they're going to be really impressive, but like most mm-hmm. rookies like Anthony Edwards didn't help the Timberwolves win games last year. Uh, LaMelo Ball helped the Hornets win games, but that's like a very rare exception. Like De- Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman helped Memphis win games, but that was just kind of a, a unique scenario. Like you can't expect to get a guy like that. And, and I like Corey Kispert a lot, like for, for what he is, but even if they'd taken Corey Kispert over Moses Moody, uh, you know, I mean, Kispert maybe plays like 18 minutes a game for them or something like that. Um, so, I mean, I think getting Kaminga was just an absolute steal and a gift um, from OKC because uh, if, I mean, he he just looks, he looks so much the part, right? Like, I mean, he oh, yeah. if he just has... He just keeps having those flashes, like he had in in his uh, summer league debut last night. He's gonna have a ton of trade value because you just guys like that don't come around very often. Guys who are like a legit six eight and strong and freak athletes, like that's that's the perfect um, mold of player that you want in today's NBA. The type of guy that can guard uh, the very best players in the league and is a is a big time. Uh, defensive mismatch for other teams and he's so young that like he, he's so young and he's so um, gifted physically that even if his like shooting percentages aren't great this year like I, I don't think it's gonna kill his trade value because you can still just dream on that upside yeah. and you know there's there's still like maybe a I don't know 15 20 percent chance that he's just ahead of schedule and is really showing really impressive flashes. And like I I would already rather have Kaminga than James Wiseman if I was another team um that they were looking to try to get a superstar oh, yeah. from. So um I think I think you had to take a player with those picks, especially that number seven pick for the trade value aspect of it. If if you care about helping Steph and Clay and Draymond, like taking a guy that's gonna have big time trade value is the best
1: way to do that. Right. And you could play it both ways. You know, if, if one of those guys hits, then, you know, you can either trade them or you have a, a really nice young player to develop. You know, I, I think, I think that's the biggest point. You know, if you want to criticize the Warriors for not taking someone like Corey Kispert who could conceivably step in, or even, you know, Davion Mitchell um, who went nine to Sacramento, it's it's that those guys aren't going to hold trade value if that's ultimately what it comes to. And I, I think Golden State, like if Brad Beal gets on the market I think they will, as, as great as Kaminga looked last night and, you know, Moody even outscored him, like those guys combined for 37 points in that summer league game. And, and Kaminga, especially had a couple of like, wow, type of plays, uh, although he did have six turnovers. If Brad Beal's on the market, I don't think they hesitate to ship either of those guys out for Brad Beal. Like they, they have the ability to either develop these two really promising young guys plus Wiseman uh, or, you know, flip them and, and, you know, become arguably the best team in the West overnight.
2: Yeah, like that that rumored package that the Sixers asked for for Ben Simmons, uh, which was like completely laughable, where it was like Wiseman, the seven pick, the fourteen pick, and like two future firsts, and and Andrew Wiggins, uh, that's not laughable if you're getting Bradley Beal necessarily. Like that, you know, that's that's a type of package that probably gets that trade done. So, um. You know, Kaminga could have a very bright future. Wiseman, you know, we'll see. Moses Moody, you know, he he could be a starter in the league for a long time. So um, I don't think the Warriors would think twice, no matter how good these guys look, about doing something like that for a guy like Beal.
1: What did you come in on the Kings pick of Mitchell at nine? It felt like that one was somewhat of a head-scratcher, kind of the Kings reverting back. To being the Kings after getting a, a huge deal on Halliburton last year.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't really know what to think of it because they didn't have a ton of great options there, really. Um, I mean, they they could use some forward depth, uh, probably more than they could use guard depth. So from that standpoint, it didn't make a ton of sense, but like. I mean, who was the who is the good forward you're going to take there? Um, just well, there really weren't there really weren't a ton of great forward options on the board. I mean, were you going to take like Usman Garuba that high? Um, that that I, would have
1: been a very Kings pick. <laughs> <laughs> they, they thought they got crit- criticized for taking Davion Mitchell. Man, yeah, no, that's you know, true. Like, that's true. Those are all good points, and you know, like I, I think you just look. I don't want to, I don't think you should draft for need at number nine or really anywhere no. in, in the NBA, yeah. the way that players are, are so versatile now and, and rosters can be manipulated. Like, I think a lot of people said, oh, you already have De'Aaron Fox, you already have Tyrese Halliburton, you currently have Buddy Heald. Why would you take another guard? Like you said, it's not like Kamingo was sitting there. You know, if they take Zyre Williams, I think they get the same reaction. Luke Knight is another guard. You know, like, you know, it would have been maybe a reach to take Kispert there. I, I don't know that there was like a correct option for Sacramento. I think they probably wanted Wagner who went one pick earlier.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't love, there's been talk of them doing like a three guard line. I assume eventually they're going to trade Buddy Heald and eventually they could do a three guard lineup at times with, with Fox and Mitchell and Halliburton. Uh, I mean, I don't think you're going to have a, a credible defense really if you do that. So I, I don't, I don't love it, but I mean, they may you know, who knows how long Darren Fox is going to be there. I mean, he he might uh, they might they might decide that, like, they're just not really going anywhere with him as their best player at some point and, and try to cash him out um, or he might ask for a trade. So, yeah, I think if, if he was the if Mitchell was the best player on their board, I think it's it's the right pick. Uh, he wasn't the best player on my board, but I mean, I, I didn't really think that that one was crazy. Um, just because, you know, in that range of the draft, once Kaminga's off the board, if, if you don't like Sangoon and you're not that in on Zaire Williams, like you're you're not really getting a shot at at getting a star there. So um, just take the best role player that that's on your board.
1: What do you think of the fit for James Book Knight in Charlotte? I, I felt like this was a borderline steal just because there was a, a pretty decent chance seemingly on draft night that he would go as high as six. To OKC, a lot of people thought seven to Golden State, um, like he was heavily favored gambling wise to, to go with one of those two picks. Uh, he falls all the way to 11. I, you know, the the fit, I feel like is OK, but it, for Charlotte, it was just a, a best asset available type of pick, I feel like. And now, you know, we, we, we said it on draft night, he he made Devontae Graham expendable immediately. And, you know, lo and behold, a couple days later, they turn around and, and flip Devontae Graham to New Orleans and let the Pelicans be the team that gives him 50 million dollars. I, I would rather have a backcourt of LaMelo and Rozier with James Knight, you know, kind of as my six man first guard off the bench than the Devontae Graham predicament where, you know, LaMelo kind of steals the starting spot plays so well that he, you know, you really can't start Devontae Graham. And then you have this guy who probably feels like he should be playing more than he should coming off the bench. And, you know, Devontae Graham is just such a, a huge negative defensively because of his size that, you know, Knight's never going to be a great defender either, but I, I think given the, the difference in cost, the, the difference in like willingness to accept the role, I, I think this is kind of a home run situation for the Hornets.
3: Yeah, I mean,
2: I, I agree with most of what you said. Uh definitely agree with what you said about Devontae Graham. Like I think that was one of the one of the dumbest moves of, of free agency, what New Orleans did with, with him. Um but I I do also think Book Knight's a, a bit overrated as a prospect. Like He's not a freshman and he's a shooting guard who shot under 30% from three last year. So like, you know, or why, why are we like, I, I kind of buy the Jordan Clarkson comps but people have to remember that like, it was like four or five years before Jordan Clarkson was even seen as like a good player. So like, you know, I, I think maybe he has that type of career, but I, I don't, you know, I'd, I'd rather have him on, on his contract than Graham on his contract. And I'd I'd probably rather have him than Graham just anyways, just because we know exactly what Graham is. And like you said, he's a terrible defender who, like, the only thing he can really do on offense is shoot threes. And uh, so, I mean, at that point, he's just very replaceable and, and not that valuable. And Book Knight, if if the three comes around, I know there was a lot of stuff about how he was shooting the three well in, in workouts, you know, that lots of guys have shot three pointers well in workouts and not shot them well in games. So I'm I'm not really willing to assume that that's going to be the case for him. But, uh, you know, I think the, the fit is great. Uh, I
1: just don't I don't think he's as good as some people think he is. All right, so twelve through twenty in this draft went Primo, Duarte, Moody, Kispert, Shangoon, Trey Murphy, Trey Mann, Kai Jones, and Jalen Johnson. Uh pick one or two guys from that group to talk about.
2: Um well we already kind of touched on Shangoon and uh I I mean I like I like Kispert uh to the Wizards. Uh I like the Moody pick a decent amount. I think he's got a chance to be someone that that can help them um, by the end of the year. At least look like a a nice trade asset. Uh, Chris Duarte to the Pacers. Like that was the most predictable pick probably outside of the top three. Like just getting Rick Carlisle, the oldest player in the draft. Like that's just kind of classic. Um, I there's been so much backlash to the Josh Primo pick that I. I kind of think I kind of think he's gonna be good. Uh, Are you gonna zag on Primo? (laughs) Like, you know, the when when we're doing like for for like when I when I am analyzing baseball prospects for the the MLB draft, like being the youngest guy um, from the high school ranks or one of the youngest guys is always like a huge deal. Uh, Like, there's just you're, you're typically Going to have a much better chance of panning out if you're a really young 18-year-old than if you're like 19 already, uh, and I think that, that that can apply to to the NBA draft as well. Um, like I think you know, obviously he wasn't good at Alabama last year, like in the traditional sense of like he wasn't he wasn't wowing college analysts last year. Uh, but we have to kind of put some context behind this and and look at his age and look at his measurables and and the fact that that he could develop into a a pretty good three-point shooter which you know if you if you can do that at six six and you can uh develop some some on-ball skills maybe maybe it's just kind of a secondary or even tertiary creator like I think that there's there's a chance he could turn into something and um you know the the whole notion that oh, you can't take him at 12, you should have traded down and taken him at, like, 18 or whatever. Uh,
1: First of all, it,
2: it didn't seem like there was much of a market to trade down in this draft, and I just don't think you can ever say that, like, oh, he would have been there at 17 because none of these mock drafts had him going in the top 20 like that's just that's not how this works at all like mock mock drafts are, are mock drafts they're done by people who write on the internet they're not done by front office people so uh I think there's been too much heat on the spurs for that primo pick and and I like the fact that they didn't take a guy like Chris Duarte or like Corey Kispert just because those guys could play now like I like that the spurs are kind of uh, sort of accepting the fact that they're they're not going to be a realistic playoff team this year. And if they are, then then great. That means a lot of their young guys took big steps forward. But uh, I like the fact that they actually went with like a young player that they really like rather than just some old guy they thought could step in right away. All
1: right. We got to switch gears to free agency. Uh, just just touched on a few of the the major moves. And we have to start with my hometown, Los Angeles Lakers. What What is going on? I I love what they've done outside of the Russell Westbrook addition. I feel like they've they've made a ton of really good moves to offset the damage that they've done by bringing in Westbrook. But at the end of the day, I I don't feel any differently about their chances to win the title than I did before they had Russell Westbrook. If that makes sense, like the the at the time they traded for Westbrook, I thought huge minus. They they took a step back, but by bringing in Ellington, by bringing back Tht, by getting Malik Monk. Kendrick Nunn, that's probably the biggest one. You know, even Ariza, Bazemore, Dwight, like, none of those guys moved the needle individually. But collectively, I think they nailed all of their low-cost additions. I, I just feel like Westbrook has a chance to be such an enormous negative in the playoffs that it, it might not matter. With that said, you know, the Clippers are going to be without Kawhi for most, if not all, the year. Uh, I, I think the Suns probably take a slight step back. It felt like everything went their way last year um denver's without jamal murray dallas didn't really get all that much better around luka you know the warriors are going to be there but i i have a hard time really feeling better about any other team representing the west in the finals assuming everyone stays healthy than i do about the lakers even though i don't really love what they've done
2: yeah i think uh i think you're spot on with all of that um you know I think Frank Vogel's really gonna have his hands full like I can't i mean this is this is gonna be really tough for him to maneuver because well, first of all, like we've never seen a team like even go to the finals, let alone win the finals with this much turnover on a roster from one year
1: to the next
2: like it's just. I mean, I don't even know if we've seen a team have this much turnover on a roster.
1: Well, I I think the only other times that would compare are, like, when LeBron came to the Heat, they clean house, and it was just those three on the roster for a little bit. And then it was, like, you know, Mario Chalmers, Birdman, fill it in with those guys. Like, the only other times there's been anything close are other LeBron instances, either in Miami or Cleveland. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, like, how many
2: of these guys are going to be okay playing like 18 minutes a game because some of them are going to not going to have to play. So like, are they going to run a, an 11 man rotation where everyone plays like 24 minutes? Like, no, it's going to like some sort of hierarchy is going to be established. And uh, I think, I think it should be probably fine. Uh, at least during the regular season, because LeBron's there and he will keep these guys in line. Uh, and I mean, get you know guys like Trevor Ariza, like Wayne Ellington, like I don't, I don't think they're gonna make waves based on how much they're playing. But you know, is Carmelo Anthony gonna be okay? Uh, that's, like getting- that's the
1: name <laughs> I was thinking. Yeah, I mean that that's where I could see this becoming a Dwayne Wade in Cleveland situation. Yeah. Well, is, and is uh, Bellow is like quietly released and signs with the Knicks midway through the year. I mean, they're
2: they're not gonna be able to guard any guards. Um you know, like like when they play like Donovan Mitchell or Damian Lillard or Steph Curry, like those guys should be extremely high priced on DraftKings and FanDuel those nights. Um uh, because like it's just like if you're if you're a talented guard and you go up against this team, you should be able to drop forty. Um I think you know, any any minutes where Russell Westbrook is out there with Mark Gasol or Dwight Howard, you're just you're gonna have a, a pretty terrible half court offense. Um I think I think maybe LeBron is maybe underestimating how smart NBA defenses have gotten with regards to a guy like Russell Westbrook in the playoffs where like this, this team's going to look really amazing during some regular season games where the other defense is just kind of like, you know, it's, it's their third game and five nights and they're, they're on the road and, they didn't really put much of a game plan together and you're just going to, there's going to be all kinds of like LeBron to Russ alley-oops and just crazy stuff. And it's going to look great. But once, once you get into the playoffs, there's, there's really no reason to not pack the paint on this team. Like you just,
3: if you eliminate
2: the half court cuts that that could lead to like layups or dunks, I don't really know how this team scores efficiently in the half court and if you have if you've scouted them well then you should be able to take away a lot of their their pet stuff to to generate fast breaks where like LeBron'll get a rebound and turn and fire it to Westbrook who's leaking out like you should be able to take that stuff away in the playoffs and I mean you're you're basically going to have to ask LeBron James to guard the very very best wing scores in the league during the playoffs. Unless unless you think like Taylor and Horton Tucker's up to that challenge. I mean, I know Trevor Rizzo could once do that. I don't I don't think he's capable of doing that anymore. Uh, at least at the highest level, um, you're going to need to play Anthony Davis, like, 30 minutes a game at center at least during the playoffs. Um, so it's just there's there's a lot there's a lot that goes into this. Uh, to just to get it to work and I would take the field over the Lakers to go to the finals, but I would say the Lakers are the favorites to come out of the West. I just think odds are um, whether it's Jamal Murray coming back sooner than we think or you know if, if Clay Thompson returns to like 90% of his pre-injury self, I mean, I think the Warriors have a have a really good shot. Um, they're gonna they're gonna have a much better like identity in in terms of their offensive game plan and their offensive X's and O's than the Lakers are. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of LeBron taking you know fadeaway threes with you know the, the game winding down and that type of stuff just because Westbrook's gonna be off the ball, his defender's not gonna guard him. Um, if you've got a center in the game, his defender's not gonna be guarding him really. There's just there's all kinds of ways that this could go sideways. But I do think like everything they've done after the Westbrook trade has been about as good as you could have hoped. But I still think those those big weaknesses are still gonna be there.
1: The one piece they have remaining is you know, Dennis Schroeder potentially coming back to this team and, and taking like the taxpayer mid-level because you just can't get anything else like that. That is potentially on the table, um, you know, at working some sort of sign and trade to bring in another defender or another shooter, because you know, I, I feel better about the shooting right now, but it's also because of Wayne Ellington, who is not exactly Clay Thompson, you know, like they're, they're still really thin. And if Wayne Ellington misses a month with an ankle injury, all of a sudden they're back to having like Malik Monk as the best shooter on this team. Like as, as currently constructed, what's the closing lineup for the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals right now? I mean you you have A D, you have LeBron. Westbrook has to be out there. I mean who who are the other two guys? Like is it Ellington? Is it Horton Tucker? Is is Kendrick Nunn closing a Western Conference finals game?
2: Man. Um, if I if I had to guess, I would say it would be Kendrick Nunn and Trevor Ariza um but man I you know you're it's kind of pick your poison like you do you want to prioritize three-point shooting and just have a really skeleton crew defensively uh I mean if you if you prioritize shooting your offense could be really good with those AD at center lineups where Russ is the only like total non-shooter. Um, but I mean, Ant- Anthony Davis, like if you, if you exclude what he did in the bubble, like he's not that great of a three-point
1: shooter. Um, under, so you under can, 30% last season.
2: Yeah. So like if, if you have AD at center, and you put Ellington in there and you put you know whoever your next best three point shooter is in there like you know whatever like say it's Ariza um like I think I think they'll be fine offensively but then you have two guards that you can absolutely attack the other team could just go right at um, and just really kind of uh, embarrass on the other end but then if you go defense I mean I don't even know who who really qualifies as a as a strong defender. Um Ariza has that reputation, Baysmore kind of has that reputation, but like I don't think those guys aren't like if you go back to like that like Bucks Bucks series like with against the Suns or against the Nets, like Ariza and Bazemore aren't stacking up as like big time defenders in like a, in a high leverage playoff game. No. So if you go with the those defensive guys then I just don't think you have enough offense. So um, I think, I think Vogel going to be kind of mixing and matching, playing the hot hand. Like I, you could see like Wayne Ellington, like pulling a Joe Harris or pulling a Harrison Barnes and just not doing the one thing he's supposed to do and just getting kind of uh, mm. removed from the rotation. Like, I mean that, that could happen. But, uh, Maybe Malik monk is is feeling it, and he's in there with Russ, and then your defense is really a disaster. Uh, I, I don't know. it's gonna be it's gonna be challenging. Um, if Carmelo gets those sort of legacy minutes, then you have another place to attack defensively. He's getting those minutes,
1: uh, unfortunately,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, honest, the like the best thing that could happen to this team is that Taylor Horton Tucker takes a leap this year and becomes a guy that you can rely on in those minutes. But, I mean, he he
1: has, hasn't has done that yet. No, he was a massive disappointment, I thought, last year and, and did not take the steps forward that the Lakers hoped he would and, and that it looked like he would after that preseason. One final positive thing I will say about the Lakers, I am glad they did not retain Alex Caruso. I, I think you know, his, his popularity as a player has far exceeded how good he's actually been and I know the defensive metrics are good. He is a, he is a good defender. He's a scrappy defender. He also just made a lot of kind of dumb plays. I thought defensively, like fouls a lot of shooters, you know, jump set, closeouts, things like that. And offensively, I thought he took a huge step back this last season. He had some he had some big moments. Um, he had some big moments in the bubble, but I I don't think he really gave them anything this past year. I thought he was one of their bigger issues. On offense, couldn't finish, you know, really could not shoot. I, I swear to God, he missed like every wide open three pointer possible on kickouts. I, I thought, you know, having him around on essentially a minimum second round deal was great, but I, I would not want to be the team that's paying Alex Caruso $40 million. And I, I said to Alex on the pod the other day, I, this just reminds me of when the Bucks signed Matthew Della Vidova coming off of that hot NBA finals run.
3: Yeah, I mean
2: I think that's a little harsh. I don't I don't think he's that bad. Um but I mean they they clearly prioritized offense over defense with these signings. Um and like I I I'm picturing LeBron like thinking of this being kind of like similar to his Miami title teams where like Russ is the Westbrook and AD's like Russ is a lesser version of um Dwayne Wade and and AD is a is a better version than Chris Bosh and it'll work out uh, that way. But I just think uh like LeBron is not that caliber defender anymore. Russ Russ defensively compared to like Dwayne Wade defensively, it's just like you couldn't have a bigger gap. And then uh defenses have just gotten so much more advanced in terms of like picking on your your weaknesses that uh I just don't think it's gonna play out that way. So I mean I, I think defensively and and they might have looked at like what Brooklyn did and say like, hey, we don't have worse defensive personnel than the Nets did last year and they would have won the title if they'd stay healthy. But um you know you think about the shooting that those three had like Harden, Kyrie and KD versus the shooting that this Lakers big three has. All three of those Nets guys are significantly better three point shooters than the best three point shooter of LeBron, Wet, Russ, and Davis. So um I mean it's if if they win the title, like Frank Vogel is all of a sudden like among the best coaches in the league if if he's not already there and LeBron has like the ultimate the ultimate, I told you so, the ultimate trump card if, if they can win the title with this group.
1: And he's already started that parade. Yeah, everybody's been hating on the Lakers. I'm, I'm sure you saw his tweet yesterday that um, he's, he's not happy about what people are saying about the moves that they've made. Um, the other team I want to talk about, and then we'll get out of here. But, you know, If you want more free agency talk, Alex and I covered virtually every signing uh, earlier this week, and you can find that in this same feed. The Chicago Bulls now can roll out a starting five of Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, either Patrick Williams or Laurie Markinen, and Nikola Vucevic at the five, which I think on paper sounds pretty good. You have either Markinen or Williams, and you have Kobe White. Uh, you have Alex Caruso, those three coming off the bench. That's a pretty solid top seven, top eight. Um, I, I actually thought losing Thad Young to the Spurs in the in the DeRozan sign-in trade was, was kind of a big deal for this team depth-wise, which is maybe not a good thing. But where do you come in on the bulls? Like, did did this really change anything for how you view their ceiling?
2: Um, I mean, I think they are a pretty decent bet to make the playoffs now. I, I, I can't wait to recommend people bang the under on whatever their Vegas over under is. Like, if it if it comes in anywhere higher than like 45 or 46 then I would strongly recommend uh putting a hefty waver- wager on the under. Um, I mean this this really could be it'll definitely be a bottom 10 defense. It could be a bottom 5 defense. Uh having <laughs> I mean having Lonzo Ball and like Patrick Williams is is fine. He's he's a promising young player, but having Lonzo Ball and Patrick Williams as and and Alex Caruso like those are those are your defensive stalwarts on this team. Like I, I'm sorry, like it's just there's a there's a big time cap on your upside if if that's the the quality of your defense. And like I think Arturus Karnishvili like. Is thinking like he's trying to build the Denver Nuggets 2.0, where it's just it's a lot of focus on offense, and you're not as worried as as much about the defense. But no one on this team, like Zach Levine, I'm sorry, like no one on this team has anywhere near the the ceiling of Nikola Jokic offensively, and that's that's what makes the Denver Nuggets work. Is that he's just such a phenomenal talent, uh, one of the best offensive players we've really ever seen. And that's that's what allows that to work in Denver. They don't have that type of guy. Like Zach Levine's great, but he doesn't he doesn't make his teammates better offensively. And I, I mean, I think Lonzo, the Lonzo ball move was amazing. Like I think that was one of the best moves of this entire agency. Uh and then they just erased it and then some with the DeMar DeRozan contract because you're, you're overpaying him. You attached picks to overpay him. He is not a good fit because of the defensive stuff I mentioned. And, like, I don't think it's a lock at all that Zach Levine re And then you're stuck with this DeRozan, Vucevic, Lonzo Ball, like, core that is just going to be too good to get you high in the lottery and too bad to get you more than like the seven or eight seed. So, um, if, if the goal was just like, we have to make the playoffs and we have to make the playoffs, um, for the next two or three years, if possible, it doesn't really matter what seed we are. We just, we have to make the playoffs. If that was the goal, then I think they did fine. But if the goal was to win a playoff series or get uh, home court advantage in the first round, I just think that this was kind of a disaster, uh, mainly just because of DeRozan. I mean, the the Vucevic trade was terrible, and the DeRozan signing was
1: just as bad, if not worse. What do you think the Bulls' title odds have moved to now this morning after all these moves? Um, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. They started at a hundred to one.
2: I mean i don't think they should be higher than like 60 to one what, what are they
1: 60 to one that's the number i, I last saw at the DraftKings sportsbook okay. so okay. surprisingly realistic right like i would not have been shocked if they were listed at like 35 to one just trying to capitalize on people you know being irrationally exuberant about these moves but yeah. 60 to one's right i mean they're i don't they're not they're a better team they're they if things break right, they could win 50 games and get like the three seed in the East, but I don't think anybody's going to take this team seriously. I don't, I
2: don't think they can get the three seed. Like I I think in the best, best, best case scenario, even with like injuries to other teams, I don't think they can get that high because the, like the de- defensively, like the only yeah. teams that have gotten that high of a seed with this bad of a defense have been teams like the Nets and like the Nuggets. And like I said, like, This is, this is a, it's a good offense. It's probably a top 10 offense, but it's not a top five offense. And they would need to be like a clear top five offense to have a chance of getting that high.
1: Right. And I think one thing that's being overlooked and and maybe some people are willfully overlooking it because of the circumstances surrounding the 2020, 21 season, but they were bad with Vucevic and Levine. I, I think people expected that team or that tandem to, to pair up. And the Bulls to just like take off like a rocket ship after the after the trade deadline, and it went the other way. Like you know, eventually I think Levine got COVID and was out for a couple weeks, and that was basically curtains on the season. But before that, it was a complete disaster. Like it was kind of a take turns offense. You know, their defense fell off a cliff. It wasn't that great beforehand. Um, You know, it's not like these guys went 15 and five together in the lineup at the end of last year. Like, you know, you're adding two more pieces in, in Lonzo and DeRozan and. And Lonzo should be pretty transferable. I'm not worried about him at all. I, I think you're right. That was a great move. I think that, that one's been pretty much universally praised. But bringing in DeRozan at that price, man, it's it, it, it helps keep your floor high. But I, I just don't know. I don't know what the direction is. And and now they're out, what, two more future first-round picks? I think one more from the Vooch deal, and then now one more that you send out to get DeRozan?
2: Yeah, like that. there's just... I don't see this team ever getting a top four seed in the next five years. And I don't see them ever getting a top five pick in the next five years. So they're just kind of stuck in this, this, you know, no man's land. And I don't know, maybe that was okay. Maybe that's, that's fine with what they were trying to accomplish. But uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think like all those those four guys, like Alonzo, Levine, DeRozan Vucevic, I think they'll be great in fantasy because their their identity is clear now. This is a this is an offensive team. They're gonna try to have the best offense they possibly can. Uh, and you know, they're gonna have they're gonna be asking a, a lot of Alex Caruso. I mean, the other thing is like Frank Vogel's a really good defensive coach and he used Caruso very well um Caruso got to play with other great defenders like KCP and and AD and like LeBron had a really good defensive year last year uh Billy Donovan is not a he's not a defensive whiz so like this team's gonna have to win with offense so I I like those four guys for fantasy because they're just gonna have to score they're gonna have to try to outscore everyone yeah no that's true that's
1: true and and even though. You know, there's still some upside with the Kobe Whites of the world. You know, it's not a super, super robust bench by any means. And if any of those guys are either shipped out or are injured, you know, it's going to be even more heavily dependent on that top four, top five. But uh, I don't want to start digging into any of these other moves. We're going to get sidetracked and this is going to go for two and a half hours. But uh, James, as always, appreciate you stepping away from baseball for a little bit to talk some NBA and I'm sure we'll do it again soon. Thanks for having me.